0: Hello and welcome to our final Investor Podcast of 2019, the last chance to get an updated Schroder's view of the world for three weeks. Uh, You could say this is our Christmas special edition, but we will be treating the markets today with our customary level of seriousness. This is Gavin Ralston, and with me is Merrick Stiles, Multi-Asset Portfolio Manager, and we're going to be talking about the latest thinking on asset allocation and whether the trends of 2019 are likely to continue into 2020. But the tone of the last few weeks has been one of a steady advance in risk assets, and the last week has been no exception, with the Santa rally in full swing. Markets have been encouraged by fundamentals. There was a comforting statement from the Federal Reserve. Uh, the FOMC made no change in interest rates and anticipated no changes in 2020. Uh, the narrative of a gentle pickup in activity in the US continues, And the inflation releases last week, for example, the core CPI in the US, which was up 2.3%, suggested nothing that would concern central bankers. Interestingly, to come back to the liquidity story, at this point last year, the expectation for Fed funds at the end of 2019, i.e. now, was 3.1%, but the actual level is 1.6%. And that's a good explanation of why liquidity has been such a powerful factor. It's worth saying, however, that Keith is still looking for one further rate cut uh, in the first half of 2020. The European Central Bank also had a meeting, its first meeting under the leadership of Christine Lagarde, uh, not giving much away, but she did say that she portrayed herself as an owl rather rather than as a hawk or a dove. Among other good news was the signature of the much-anticipated Phase 1 trade deal between the US and China, Craig Botham, in his note on the subject, concluded that the agreement exceeded expectations and at the margin would lead the economics team to raise their growth forecast for 2020. Then there was the election in the UK and a decisive win for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives, leading to a sharp rise in sterling and a rise in small and mid-cap companies, in particular in those industries that would have been targets for nationalisation under labour-like utilities. So, Eric, let's start with the UK. Do you think there'll be a lasting impact on markets of the Boris Johnson victory?
1: Probably not. And I think already we're starting to see some of the bounce actually roll back. Um, Just this morning, uh, we've had some of the announcement in terms of trying to shorten the transition period and then give it a a final end date. Uh, And you've seen sterling actually uh, go back to where it was pre-election. The stock market is still a little bit higher than where it was um, but you're j- just effectively seeing, I think, the end of uh, some of the uncertainty uh, and then being replaced with probably more uncertainty. So for me, this is very much the end of chapter one of the book. Uh, we haven't got to the end of that chapter yet. Um, but I think we go into chapter two uh, next year. where are actually um, trying to organise and, and figure out what this actually means Uh, is is going to be pretty tricky. So I think there's still this uncertainty in the market. Uh, We've had that little bounce recently, but I don't think it's going to remove any of that sort of real uncertainty. Uh, And so I don't think uh, we're going to see it, it bouncing much more. Obviously, depending on headlines, we can see bounces. But I think that means we're just going to be in for another volatile time.
0: Sue Nofka made the point in in her note immediately after the election that UK equities had underperformed uh, the world index by 30% since the referendum in 2016. It sounds like you're seeing any closure of that gap will be very prolonged certainly not immediate.
1: Yeah, I think so. And we've seen a few sort of headlines saying now, uh, UK equities are very cheap, uh, obviously a lot of that is due to sterling still being quite cheap I think overall, uh, especially compared to where we were pre-Brexit sort of Brexit three, four years ago. Um, but there's still that uncertainty there uh, and even today, as I said, we're, we've got those headlines. Uh, it doesn't mean that we then have this sort of real stability that uh, people globally would want to invest in, in UK equities. Um, So I don't think this is the the great sort of turnaround in UK equities or UK assets.
0: Okay, so let's move to the bigger picture. Uh, A month ago, Remy summarized the multi-asset view as being marginally overweight risk assets. You had a GAC meeting last week. Was there any change to that view?
1: I wouldn't say there was any large change in the view, but I think uh, compared to where we were about a month ago when when Remy talked about this, I think we have just added slightly overall to risk. We've added a little bit more into equities and I think we've we've balanced up some of our allocation uh, between countries. We're fairly sort of equally weighted now, I would say, across the main sort of areas and countries. Um, and also, I think we've just removed a few hedges from the portfolio as well. So, taken a little bit of profit on duration. Uh, and that means that the uh, overall risk of the portfolio has just, just ticked up a little bit. But overall, I don't think there's any large change from last month.
0: But you're obviously anticipating that the rally in risk assets continues, for the time being at least.
1: Yeah, I, I think so. And um, generally, when we're looking at um, the communication from the Fed, um We've talked a lot about insurance cuts, and if we compare to the 90s when we had insurance cuts, you found that we had the cuts, and then very shortly afterwards, uh, you had then interest rate hikes, uh, typically around about a year after we had the cuts. But I think if we compare now to then, back then we had inflation. Today, we don't see inflation coming through at all. uh, And if it does start to come through, it's going to be quite benign, I think, and actually The response of the Fed will actually be to, uh, to allow inflation to run above target for a little while as well. Not excessively, but anything sort of in that two to two and a half percent inflation, I think the Fed are going to be quite comfortable with. So that means that instead of having maybe a rate hike in sort of a year's time, which you would typically expect compared to the 90s, it now means that actually probably we're gonna stay fairly still uh, in terms of rate hikes. So obviously, as, as you said earlier, Keith has maybe one, one cut still priced in. I think that's a, a little bit to see maybe um, some of the small sort of more shorter term moves in some of the economic numbers that are coming out. But generally, I think we see rates going pretty much sideways for here for some considerable amount of time, which then means that actually the Fed is showing uh, that they want to concentrate on growth. And that means then that this sort of um, the equity market rallies and the, the the expanded multiples that we see actually can actually continue for some time. And so we have seen people going out and, and buying equities, and you've seen that reflected in the market pricing.
0: But just picking up the point about expanded multiples, it's been an excellent year for equity returns. I think the world index is now up 25%, the S&P even more, uh, with actually very little earnings growth coming through, particularly in the US. I mean, isn't there a temptation to take profits? Can this uh, very positive scenario really continue?
1: Yeah, I think there is some sort of um, temptation, but I think we're sticking to our guns at the moment. Um, I think the Fed have been pretty clear, actually, in terms of they are seeking growth and then eventually inflation. And obviously that can take some uh, quite a a period of time. And so in that sort of period, uh, we can see actually growth assets doing very, very well. Um, If I maybe concentrate on earnings, if eventually earnings should start to come through if we do see that growth coming through. And so I think we can live with the slightly expanded multiples for now, and then obviously hope uh, that the growth then does come through. Uh, Obviously we have maybe sort of Um, I guess pre um, priced in some of Mm. that sort of expectation. But if we do see rates staying here for much longer, uh, which we expect, then actually that the multiples can stay where they are. And actually, the earnings can come through and everything should be okay. Um, But yeah, I do do see uh, the idea of if we are tempted to take some profit on some of these things that have done so Mm. well,
0: and let's talk about the trade deal. But some commentators are saying that the the signature of a phase one deal is actually quite a decisive turn in events and that trade will be less of a depressant on markets next year. Do, do you think that's likely to be the case or are we going to be back to the scenario of swinging from optimism to pessimism as every week passes and every tweet is issued?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think it's it's your second point there where Uh, Obviously, we we have seen this phase one deal and it was maybe slightly better than we were expecting. Um, But almost immediately afterwards, we saw Trump tweet that he's he's ready for phase two and he wants to get cracking on that. And I think phase two is going to be a much harder negotiation. Uh, uh, I think we were hoping possibly that there would be Uh, a period of time between sort of the negotiations of phase one and phase two, just for the market to sort of settle down and digest and and kind of have a rest from from talking about trade deals really. Uh, And the fact that if Trump really wants to get into phase two quickly, uh, when we uh, look at what the Chinese are thinking in terms of their phase two. There's a lot more red lines, I think, that they see within that phase two deal. But I think the Chinese are really not going to uh, be willing to budge on very much at all. Uh, and so I think the headlines that we're going to be seeing if we do start to talk about phase two is just going to continue uh, very similar to what we saw in phase one. So unfortunately, I think there's, there's no real rest from, from, um, from trade wars. And, and this can go on for many, many years yet. Um, Typically, if you look at trying to figure out uh, trade deals, they take multiple years. This is not something that can be done in a few quarters.
0: Okay, so that's a source of risk to watch out for. Definitely. But what about uh, Chinese growth? Because earlier in the year, there was a lot of concern that Chinese growth was slipping steadily downwards. Uh, But it looks now as if China, like the rest of the world, is starting to pick up again.
1: Yeah, and then actually, when we look at our um, Schroeder's activity indicator for China, uh, our economists have just shown uh, on the last update is just starting to tick up a little bit, mainly on in industrial production. Uh, also, uh, the consumer there seems to be OK. Um, so overall, we are starting to see a little bit of a pickup. It's still, I would say, depressed compared to what sort of uh, the official uh, figures are. Um, But also, I think anecdotally, we've had a few uh, independent researchers talk to us who have been in Beijing recently, uh, and they're starting to say, actually, this idea of the sort of tech super cycle is just starting to pick up a little bit there as well. Uh, And so overall, I think we can be a little bit more positive on China uh, compared to where we were, say, six months ago.
0: And what about emerging markets more broadly? Which, at least in in equity terms, have been quite significant underperformers this year. Is that going to change in 2020?
1: Uh, I think our outlook for emerging markets is a bit rosier, actually, compared to where we were six months ago. Part of that is China, uh, but also part of it is is what I was saying earlier about this the Fed being sort of lower for longer. Um, and and I think when we sort of tie into that as well, if we do start to see growth coming through in the US, then then hopefully the dollar may just start to weaken a little bit. Um, And so that should be positive for emerging markets. And and even if the dollar is stable, I still think that is a good environment for emerging markets. So generally, we see that as as being a a bit of a positive for emerging markets. But also when we look at the central banks in quite a few emerging markets as well, they've been uh, cutting fairly aggressively in, in some instances and actually surprising Uh, in terms of the the depth of the cuts that they've been doing. I think
0: last week I saw there were cuts from Turkey, Russia and Brazil. Yeah, exactly. And
1: and we're starting to see this sort of wave of cuts coming through Hmm. Uh, and we don't think that's finished yet. And actually uh, the advantage that uh, central banks have in emerging markets is they actually have space to cut interest rates, whereas compared to developed markets, well, ECB no, Uh, Bank of Japan no, Bank of England aren't going to move. It's only really the Fed, I think, in developed markets that have any scope for cutting. Uh, and even there, it's, it's pretty limited. So I think generally, uh, when we bring all of these things together, emerging markets could be a bit of a bright spot for us next year.
0: So we've talked mainly about equities so far, but what's the view on risky debt assets like emerging markets debt or high yield?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, what I was saying uh, with the the central banks cutting um, They're doing it for growth, which uh, means that um, some of the emerging market debt is actually uh, quite sensibly priced. Uh, We have quite steep yield curves in in some instances, so it's quite attractive to invest in. But because they're cutting for growth, it also then doesn't have an impact quite so much on the currency side. Uh, Typically, you would see uh, historically, if you're cutting interest rates, then maybe you see some weakness in currency. Uh, and I think this time it's gonna be slightly different. Um, some of the emerging market currencies are, are, are pretty good value actually in, in some instances, and we can see those appreciating. So you almost get this sort of double impact of we think the currency is quite good. Uh, the, the bonds uh, that we're seeing um, from some of these emerging market currencies are, are quite attractive as well. Uh, and combining that with the equities, I think generally overall emerging market assets look, look pretty attractive.
0: And what about high yield corporate debt in the US in particular?
1: Yeah, that that's a little bit uh, trickier, I would say. Uh, we still like it in in terms of this idea of sort of risk on. So equities should do OK. And, and as long as the growth comes through uh, in the US, it should be OK. But it's just sort of, I would say, sits a little bit in between equities uh, and sort of other risk assets. So it it's, I would say, a little bit on the expensive side. We do see a small scope for maybe spread compression, but ultimately it's a, it's a carry asset. Uh, and so you, you're in, uh, investing for the interest rates, which have come down a little bit. Uh, effectively, the yield is down from where it was sort of a year ago. So it's just slightly less attractive than, than where we used to be. Uh, we, we used to have a, a GAC position on high yield. We had it for almost 12 months and that went, I think, two months ago now. Um, so we still have some positions, but the, the conviction is just a lot less than what it was. And effectively, we've replaced that with equity risk now. So trying to be a little bit more cyclical.
0: And and within the equity risk that you have exposure to, are you expressing any strong views, say, between the US and the rest of the world?
1: Not really. We've, we've um, got a GAC trade on at the moment, which was equally weighted between uh, the US, uh, Japan, Europe and emerging markets. Uh, and then we have another trade, which is actually long emerging markets versus the rest of the world. So overall, it's, I would say, fairly equally weighted, but with a slight tilt uh, towards the uh, emerging markets.
0: OK. And you mentioned the dollar a moment ago. I think you said that the view, the positive view on emerging markets was in a way independent of what happened to the dollar. I mean, is that is that a fair description that you have a fairly neutral view on the dollar it would if it started to weaken it would be good news but it doesn't have to weaken to drive strong returns from risk assets yeah
1: uh, well this month we have a new GAC trade actually is to be long euro versus a dollar so actually being short dollar mm. and that's i would say quite a short-term tactical trade when we look at the actual portfolios we've had a, a long dollar position for quite some time uh, i think over this past year it's been against various other currencies Currently, we have it mainly against the Canadian dollar, so the short Canadian dollar versus long US dollar. Uh, And obviously, when we're combining in now this new trade of actually being short dollar uh, against the euro, uh, overall, I think the portfolio still has a long dollar position uh, in terms of portfolio construction, uh, but I think it's just coming down a little bit. Uh, And then actually, we may get to the point soon where we have a more neutral position, but I think overall, where we have been Uh, over the past few months, reducing hedges. We're just at the point now where we are sort of struggling a little bit in terms of finding good hedges. We still have a bit of duration, but less than what we had. We still have a bit of long dollar, which is good for portfolio construction, but less than what we had. And then other hedges, they've tended to actually now been taken out of the portfolio. So we need to be a little bit careful actually that we're not removing all of our hedges.
0: The the other big talking point next year will be the U.S. presidential election in
1: November. Uh, how do you play that in terms
0: of adjusting market exposure, if
1: if indeed you do? Yeah, at the moment I think it's pretty much noise, um, so we're not really uh, positioning the portfolio for it. Obviously, the first uh, piece that we need to know is who is going to be the Democratic nominee. Hmm. Uh, if it's Elizabeth Warren. Uh, That's quite a a left leaning um, and actually could be quite bad for equity markets uh, and and risk markets generally. Uh, I think a little bit sort of safer for a Democratic nominee is is Biden. And I think at the moment he's looking to be the favorite. Uh, But at the moment, we're we're not really trying to play that at all. Um, And so I think probably once that is announced, I think we'll obviously take a much closer look and see how that impacts our portfolios. But overall, it it doesn't impact us yet. It's just pure headlines and pure noise.
0: And if if we look at hedges in the portfolios against the view that the positive outlook for equities or other risk assets doesn't pan out. I think again, a month ago, Remy said that uh, you still found value at the very long end of the US yield curves of long duration 30 year treasury. Is that still an asset you think would perform well when everything else is weak?
1: Yeah, as as I said earlier, we we still have the the duration in the portfolio, although less than what we had. Most of our duration at the moment is around that sort of 30 year. Um, We have basically moved out to the 30year period when we had the inverted curve um, where the, the short rates were actually higher than the 10-year rates and that's what pushed us further out along the curve. And I think now uh, that inversion has flipped back. I think we have around about 20 basis points from cash up to the 10 year in terms of yield ste- in, in terms of uh, curve steepness. Um, And so it's maybe slightly less attractive to be in the 30-year now compared to, say, the 10-year. So I don't think we have any real preference. We're not currently trying to move between the 10 or the 30. I think we're holding the positions. But one thing uh, that we have just introduced... Uh, is, is a new GAC trade is, is long 10-year tips, so the inflation-linked uh, uh, treasuries, and that's a trade that we're just implementing um, around about now. So outright, we are just adding a little bit to duration, maybe just taking it back up a little bit, um, but we're holding that for maybe slightly different reasons. Part of it is a hedge, so yes, we are adding duration, but then obviously part of that is also this idea of lower for longer from the Fed, could actually bring inflation through so again that's maybe hedging some of the inflation risk if it does just get a little bit out of hand.
0: Merrick thank you very much indeed. Uh, there were three points I picked up from what you've been saying. One is that having been positioned for continuing strength and risk assets you've moved slightly further down the risk spectrum in the last month so, very, so overweight equities coming into 2020 Uh, The thinking behind that is that the liquidity conditions are still in place to push asset prices higher, even if valuations are extended and earnings growth looks likely to be weak next year. And then the final thing was looking for a catch-up for emerging markets assets with more scope for central banks and emerging markets to reduce rates than is possible in developed markets. So thank you all very much for listening. As I said, this is the last podcast of 2019, and we will be back on January the 7th.